0: Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters.
1: This is MASH Matters, the podcast celebrating the greatest television series of all time. I'm Ryan Patrick, and this is the one and only Private Igor Straminsky himself, Mr. Jeff Maxwell. Hello, Jeff.
0: Hello, Ryan. The one, the only Jeff
1: Maxwell and the
0: one, the only Ryan Patrick. Wow. (laughs) How fun. There were the only, the one and the only. The ones and
1: only. The two and only, I guess that would be, right? Two and only, yeah. let me check the math on that. Yep, it checks out. That's right.
0: I had a two and only on my neck for a while and I. Got some ointment. <laughs> Took it right away. This is wonderful. What episode? This is 87? Can you believe it?
1: Here we are. Wow. I didn't think we would get out of the 60s, honestly, but we, we've we done it. <laughs> yeah. Here we are.
0: And we're, we're in fairly good health for doing this. <laughs> well, we look good plan. for
1: 87, yes. <laughs> yeah,
0: you do too. Congratulations. <laughs> <sighs>
1: Well, hey, we have uh, a lot more listener comments and voicemails to get to. But before we get to the new ones, we have quite a few messages regarding some things in uh, some of our previous episodes. So first, we're going to look at some comments from episode 85 that was seeing red. And I think it's appropriate that we start with a voicemail. And since this is episode 85 we're discussing, it seems only appropriate that that voicemail would come from our friend Betty. Betty.
2: Hello, this is Betty. One last time, I swear. I've my. Me and my family have listened to the last episode of the podcast. We've played and responded and said such, such wonderfully nice things and answered all my questions to all three of my voicemails. Uh, we've played the episode a couple of times now and it's become its own thing now within my family just to quote you guys from it. Um, and I. I plan on fully taking the name One Takes Betty. Um, <laughs> and just as, out of curiosity, I dyed my hair using a red henna rinse, and the color did come out remarkably similar to the same color of hair that everybody has at the red party. So it is it is possible. <laughs> so, yeah, just thank you once again. I'm the millionth person to say that you guys are doing just such a cool thing, but it's really true. And uh, I sincerely hope that you will let me know if you ever come to Oahu because I will take you up on your lunch offer. So, thank you.
0: Now, that lunch offer, did we offer to buy or did we say she's buying? I forget. I don't did remember.
1: We- well, I tell you what, uh, Betty, how about this? If you pick up the plane tickets for us to Oahu, we will buy lunch. Deal? I like that. like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know,
0: one take Betty may have to have another name, Henna Red. That might, <laughs> that might, you know, answer a there lot of go. questions. There you go, a Red. One take, back. she could have a, a pseudonym,
1: yeah, a <laughs> <And> Red. <her laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think Betty has now uh, surpassed the uh, number of guest appearances on this show as well. Uh, I think that <laughs> yeah. she's appeared on the podcast more than and, than uh, Loretta Swit at this point, I believe.
0: <laughs> Another 85 episodes and she'll have been on it more than we have. <laughs>
1: exactly. We also had a lot of feedback, Jeff, about whether or not the MASH gang – would stay in touch after the war oh this is from donna donna says dear jeff and ryan first of all thank you for this wonderful podcast your rapport with each other is delightful and you have what i call casual professionalism that's a good thing that can be rare in the podcast world I'm one of those apparently rare listeners who was old enough to choose to watch MASH on my own when it was originally broadcast. I was probably in my late teens during the first couple of years. I'm writing today because while I often agree with Jeff, who, by the way, really should have had a more expanding role in MASH, Igor had the charisma of a main character, I have a strong disagreement About the quality of the friendship between Hawkeye and BJ and whether that would affect how much they saw each other after the war. Jeff, if I recall correctly, felt that the two men were very different people who only became friends because of being thrown together in a wartime situation. It is true that some quite unlikely friendships develop in war. I remember meeting some of my father's old buddies from World War II, who clearly had nothing much in common with my dad in personality or life background, but who were bound together by an intense shared experience, in their case, being POWs of the Japanese which I realize is a story in itself. However, I don't look at Hawkeye and BJ as being so different from each other that they would be unlikely to be friends in the civilian world afterwards, except for the geographical and communication barriers of the 1950s. Both men were from similar backgrounds, talented surgeons who had graduated from prestigious medical schools. They shared an irreverence for authority and a love of practical jokes. Their temperamental differences were complementary in a way that makes for a strong friendship rather than an unlikely one. It is clear from the first day they met that they were going to to become very close. I think if after the war the two of them had, say, worked in the same hospital or lived in neighboring areas, they would have remained the best of friends. I also have to admit I'm one of those people who would have liked to have seen Hawkeye and Margaret wind up together in one of those opposites attract relationships. Despite their differences, they shared the most important ethical values for a relationship as well as a commitment to their professions, not to mention the fact that they had a major, no pun intended, sexual chemistry, The main thing I could see keeping them apart would be geographical distance. I agree with Loretta that Margaret would have most likely have gone off to her next assignment in a war zone like Vietnam. But as you both pointed out, this is essentially fan fiction, so we'll never know what the characters would have done. A final fanciful question, probably for Ryan as a fan member of your partnership, although Jeff is free to answer as well. If you could visit one of these characters after they got home, who would it be? Keep in mind that Ryan's favorite character might not be the most welcoming to house guests. All the best, Donna in Vancouver, British Columbia, formerly of Northern California, not far from BJ's beach property, which would be worth a fortune now. Well, thank you, Donna.
0: Okay, next. So going on.
1: uh, (laughs) Oh, come on. Just because she disagreed with you, Jeff. uh, Is that it?
0: No, I love Donna. She said some wonderful things, which I completely agree with. The rest of it, I have no agreement with whatsoever.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, You agree with the thing where she said that uh, Igor had a lot of charisma and could have had a more expanded role. (laughs) I couldn't agree with that more.
0: Thank you very much for saying that. I appreciate it. And
1: I agree. Thank you. Yeah. And you pretty much stopped listening after that. Completely. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> to answer your question, Donna, this is a great question. Uh, which character would I want to visit after they got home? I gave this some thought, and she's right. I don't think I want to go visit the Winchesters at the Cape of Cod, as Radar would say. I think I would want to go to the Potter house because I just have a feeling I would get the best home-cooked meal in the world at the Potter household. Sitting out on the porch, eating some apple pie that, that Missus Potter baked, and uh, just shooting the breeze with Sherm—that seems like a good visit.
0: Wow, I think I agree. I think that would be a wonderful evening. Yeah, yeah, that would be Wouldn't wonderful. It? Yeah, it really would. I would visit Nurse Gwen. I think <laughs> that would be where I would go. Probably a nice meal, something. I would call her and say, "Hey, uh, I'm in your area." <laughs> okay oh golly no i donna said very interesting things about bj and and hawkeye being friends and i i appreciate what she's saying i just don't think that's i just disagree i think eventually i don't think they would bond uh after that war because i think initially they really were different people hawkeye was a carefree you know rascal, uh, playboy kind of guy. And you're looking at B.J. Honeycutt, a married man, very domesticated. And I don't think, you know, I I think it was great for being in the war. But I think after that, they probably would have different perspectives and different lifestyles. So that's why I said that. But I appreciate Donna's uh, assessment of what...
1: Well, if, if if you disagree with Donna, then you're going to love what Jessica 1993 commented on our YouTube channel. If you want to read her comment
0: there. I'll be happy to. Jessica says, my two cents as far as the character staying in touch. I think Jeff is right. Let me say that clearly again. I think <laughs> Jeff is right. The war is what brought those people together. For the most part, once that was over, that would have been it. When I was a kid watching the finale, it broke me. Emotionally, I couldn't process these people being away from each other, even the ones that didn't get along. My head cannon was they must have stayed in touch because how could they not? But as I grew up through the years, I realized that it often doesn't work out that way. People want to forget horrible situations like war. Seeing those people again would always be a painful reminder. Remember when BJ said to Aggie O'Shea which episode storyline I hated, that he has to live for tomorrow because for me, there's no now. I think in a real life situation, there might have been a special occasion here and there, but after a while, it would fade away until they each started dying. Then they might reunite briefly for funerals. BJ especially seems the sort of person that would want to put that time behind him and focus on his family, trying to make up for the time he lost. Hawkeye seems like uh, the kind who would desperately want to stay in touch, and he'd be hurt when it didn't turn out that way. Well, that's interesting. I'm very much like Hawkeye. I was the one always trying to keep in touch with old friends, coworkers, etc. I've learned the hard way through the years that for most people, it really is out of sight out of mind. Even aside from intense situations and relationships like going through a war together, how many times have we heard, yeah, we have to get together, and then nothing? The hardest thing I've learned, even with all the online ways to get hold of people, it's still impossible sometimes. I'm in a situation like that now. I'm trying to make something happen, and people say they're willing, but no action is taken. It's been literally years. Let's face it. Once people move or leave a job or are otherwise gone from daily interaction, they barely think about you at all. I can barely get answers to emails or text. Even that's too much effort for most people. Harsh, but true. Gee, you know, Jessica, it started out that you agreed with me. And I thought that was wonderful. But now at the end of this, I'm so depressed. I don't know what to do.
1: (laughs) I (laughs) feel like I need to return Jessica's emails and texts now. I (laughs) I feel bad that I haven't. Uh. Goodness gracious.
0: Well, that could be all that's true. I mean, yeah. I kind of get that. I, yeah, you know, out of sight, out of mind, and see you around. Yeah, let's yeah. get together, bud.
1: Oh, well, yeah, sure. I think we've all been through that. Thank you, Jessica, for agreeing with me, however. <laughs> and our Swedish friend Marie, hello, Marie, she wrote a lengthy email. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but she's another huge Hawkeye Margaret shipper. Do you know the term shipper, Jeff?
0: Uh, Well, you can put stuff on trucks and those guys (laughs) shippers. No, it's
1: people who want certain characters in shows and movies to have a relationship. They will ship them.
0: How did I not know that? And how did you know? How do you know that? It's what all the cool
1: kids are saying, Jeff. (laughs) So Marie is a Hawkeye Margaret shipper. In fact, she has written 3 different fanfics about Margaret and Hawkeye getting together after the Korean War. Wow. Yeah. She also, she shared this story and I I really like this story. She said, I've been introducing my mom to MASH. I first started to watch the show with my dad when I was 11. He passed away many years ago, but I always cherish the memories of the two of us sitting on our green velvet couch and watching the show together. My mom was never into the show back then, but she's heard me talk about it so much since I fell completely in love with the show all over again a couple of years ago. So she was curious and she is now a big fan. Her favorite characters are Klinger, Margaret, Hawkeye, and Radar, in that order. She hates Frank with a fiery passion. <laughs> she always mumbles "Ah, Frank" whenever he is on screen. She even says it the way that Margaret does sometimes, like a two-syllable word for rank. She also ships Margaret and Hawkeye. So naturally, I showed her comrades in arms. She liked it a lot, but she was so disappointed that they didn't become a couple after that. We watched it on a Saturday night. I spent the night at her place. And the first thing she said to me the next morning was, why couldn't they be together? (laughs) (laughs) Turns out she had been lying awake in the early hours of the morning, wondering why the heck they didn't just stay together. It was very sweet. Good thing for her. She has a fanfic writer of a daughter who fixed it for her. Thank you for the great podcast. You are the best. Oh, and one more thing. Maybe they got the red dye from the same place where they got the gold paint in Major Fred C. Dobbs in season one. Take lots of care. Lots of love from Sweden. Thank you, Marie. Uh, yeah, Major Fred C. Dobbs. That is kind of regarded, I think, even I think even Larry Galbart regarded that episode from season one as one of the worst, if not the worst, MASH episode. But, uh, yeah, I love that story, how her mom laid awake because Margaret and Hawkeye did not stay together. <laughs> That's that's real passion for the right. show. <laughs> Real passion. Then we had a couple of uh, comments coming in from our episode 84, Faces for Podcasting. That's where we did the unprepared video slash audio version of the podcast, where we just made everything up and answered some questions on the fly. We have a couple of comments, Jeff, that I guess I accidentally said BJ got a purple heart.
0: Yeah, he's correcting that. Uh, Mark says BJ's medal was a bronze star, not a purple heart. BJ was not wounded. In a combat area. Yeah. This again, also from Andrew, who says, with regards to Hawkeye and his decorations, he, like everyone else, would have been eligible for a Korean War Service Medal. And the Meritorious Unit Medal, the 4077, was awarded. I believe Potter does have a Purple Heart ribbon among his decorations, confirming that he did get one when his still blew up on Guam.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, This one's from John and this message came in a long time ago, but I wanted to mention it because we read another comment on that episode 84 about Canada and that brought up the Calgary Stampede and we were talking about your experience there and all that. John talks more about Canada. He says, hello from northern Saskatchewan. I have been a fan of MASH for decades. And I'm lucky to have passed my love of the show onto my children. I wanted to share my favorite episodes. In truth, portions of the episodes that are my favorite. They are the times when Canada was referenced in the show a grand total of three or four times. The first was Hawkeye referring to wounded Canadians in one of the first episodes. And in subsequent episodes, Sidney Freeman refers to Canadians capturing a hill at some point. Then there's also an episode where Charles refers to something looking like it had been through the Calgary Stampede, the world-famous rodeo, and exhibition in Calgary. Alberta. Of course, there's the episode with the Canadian soldier and with the princess Patricia's Canadian light infantry, who basically sets up a slew of Canadian stereotypes between Klinger and Potter. I have always wished that there would have been a more in-depth representation of Canadian contribution to the Korean war as nearly 27,000 Canadians served in Korea with 516 paying the ultimate sacrifice. Thank you for your amazing podcast and may you both continue to be safe P.S. I also wanted to add Burt Metcalf's home of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, is about a two hour drive from where I live and is also the hometown of Joni Mitchell. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. So salute to our Canadian friends and listeners. And uh, yeah, Canada was referenced several times. Uh, and then there is the episode where the Canadian clerk comes and that's where Klinger gets some wine that sets off a whole storyline with Winchester. And as he says, basically sets up a slew of Canadian stereotypes. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So salute, John. Thank you. Yeah.
0: And uh, just so you know, I saluted Burt Metcalf every time i came on stage nine so it's very <laughs> he important. made you do that didn't he well you know it was implied he was the executive producer so you just automatically salute the executive producer it was very <laughs> nice about it and gabrielle says great episode as always ryan and jeff it was so much fun to watch thank you jeff for the update on your cookbook ryan have you cooked any of the recipes from jeff's cookbook if so which ones have you made Thank you again for a great episode. Keep up the great work. Thank
1: you, Gabrielle.
0: That's very nice. Ryan, have you cooked anything from my cookbook?
1: So uh, moving on uh, to our (laughs) next comment. Ah, I think we understand what that means, don't we? So this is embarrassing, but no, I haven't. I'm not a cook. You know, and you and I have talked Mm -hmm. about this many times, but I should write this wrong and I should cook something from your cookbook. So what would you recommend that I try? You know, I'm not a foodie, so I don't I don't have a lot of mm-hmm. uh, big worded spices hanging around the house. Turmeric, you don't have a turmeric, yeah. I'm fresh <laughs> out. I'm fresh out, Jeff. <laughs> so, uh, do you have a recommendation of which one I should I should try?
0: Well, I think there are easier ones. However, uh, at the risk of trying to go in a direction that might be a little bit more complicated, it pays off in the end. So, mm-hmm. I would recommend. The gas passer chili. Okay, You can cook it in a big pot. Uh, you basically just throw everything in that big pot and uh, let it cook for a few hours. And uh, after that, you eat it. So it's, it's, it has some spices. You got a little chili powder and a little cumin and a little maybe turmeric if you want something. Uh, and it's easy <laughs> to put in a little salt, a little pepper, and some uh, tomato sauce and uh, paste. And you throw it all in there with the meat and let it cook. And it will cook to you know up to a really terrific, uh, wonderful chili. And then you can add, if you want, you put the chili in a bowl. You can drop cheese on it, sour cream. Some people put pumpkin seeds on it. And you're going to sit down and go, "Wow, I cooked it. This is really good." And you will, at that point, become. cook and you won't be able to stop (laughs) and your family will just go out of their mind because they'll, you will, they'll never see you again. You're going to be at the market buying spices, octopus, more turmeric.
1: (laughs) Now wait a minute.
0: Get sea bass. You go. Whoa, wait, what am I I a wait. Hold on. Is there octopus in the chili? In
1: the gas pastor chili?
0: Uh, you know, here's the thing with chili. Chili was <laughs> born on the range when cowboys were out there pushing around, moo moo the moo cows. They had they brought um, stuff out there to cook because they didn't have a you know much. They didn't have a big kitchen, so they had to make it easy. So they had a pot and whatever they they had in the wagon, they would throw into the pot. With some liquid stuff, whatever they had, and let it cook. <laughs> some liquid stuff. And there, stuff. <laughs> yeah, you can get that at any at any competent <laughs> market. Like, just go anywhere. You have liquid <laughs> stuff. Oh yeah, right over there. But <laughs> when you have that. Uh, that's gonna, what were we talking about? I, <laughs> Let's I, go back I don't to the, somebody. Okay. Jeff Wait, you're telling, really good. Okay. Never mind.
1: You're telling me that the, the settlers had cumin on their covered wagons? Absolutely. They had cumin, turmeric,
0: salt. <laughs> basically they'd shoot a cow. They chopped up and they put in a pot. And they would cook it until it was liquidy. And then they'd eat it. And that's wow. pretty much what it was. That sounds delicious. <laughs> cook until <laughs> liquidy. <laughs> yeah,
1: <right. laughs> Can you get a cow? <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, the recipe for gas passer chili is on our website. Yeah we have we have a recipes tab uh, at mashmatters.com. Uh, you can click on that so you can find the recipe to gas passer chili. We also have the recipe for creamed weenies on yeah. there as well. So if you too would like to uh, try your hand at making the gas passer chili or creamed weenies or anything by the way, shout out to our friend Megan. Every year, she makes a big meal and then watches the finale. And uh, earlier this year, all of the stuff that she cooked was from your cookbook. She did a big spread and a big meal, and she did several recipes. So How many survivors were at that dinner? (laughs) All right. All right. Let's move on here from another YouTuber, Jess J. Bell. Said, Ryan, you got to make a video tour of your MASH collection. Uh, I imagine you have some cool stuff. I remember seeing that toy line when I was a kid. I never pulled the trigger on them, even though I was a huge MASH kid. I just had to get my GI Joes. It was just a strange show for action figures, but not as strange as the Love Boat action figure line. (laughs) (laughs) And Jeff, surely you managed to smuggle some loot off of the MASH sets over the years. Uh, Stapler, a cot, lab coat, Pat Morita's cap, one of Klinger's dresses, surely something? Now, before we answer that question, in reference to the MASH action figures, Will on our YouTube channel said, by the way, there were two other MASH action figures that were not mentioned. Captain Tuttle and Habibi, Klinger's Camel, which <laughs> both be, I guess, completely empty packages since they were both imaginary.
0: You know, Habibi goes well with chili as well. So if you, ha- if you can't get a cow,
1: you shoot a Habibi, you cook it there. till it's liquidy and <laughs> you stick some turmeric in there. And it's just it's delightful. Yeah. So uh, the question, did you smuggle any loot off of the mash sets over the years?
0: This is an interesting question because just recently, within a matter of days, I found the other cap that I wore for the nine years. Really? I have one that I thought was one. And then I have one that we were looking in the garage (laughs) uh, for a cow. And we were looking (laughs) around there. And there was a thing and it had a box in there. And I opened the box and... In the box was my green cap. Oh. And I went, oh, look at this. It was the cap that I wore and I put the, the brim up and it was really cool to find that because I didn't realize. I thought it was the one that I had, but I thought, yeah, but finding that one was really fun. So nice. that's the only thing. Well, no, I did take um, a cap, some pants, mm-hmm. <laughs> my green shirt. Yeah. I think one of the T-shirts. And uh, $100,000 cash that I found on the station. <laughs> so that's that must have just fallen
1: there. out of Alan Alda's pocket, I guess, Come right? In, yeah. It
0: was one of the, yeah. something's a relig- residual check. <laughs>
1: it, just, it just fell down. Like,
0: oh, look at that. He does not care about it. So I didn't take any of those other fun things. I wish I had, but I didn't, at the yeah. time, I just didn't think about stealing things.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they were keepsakes. You wouldn't have been stealing. They were They were memories. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Memories.
0: Yeah. memories and so uh mark says i'm in central illinois how do i sign up for ryan's southern illinois pizza barbecue tour Ha-ha! <laughs> Ha-ha! now you don't have to do the tour you can just bite them over for chili yeah,
1: exactly yeah but if somebody could bring some cumin because i'm out that would be great Um, the barbecue tour would be quick because I'm not a big barbecue guy except for the one barbecue place I talked about in that episode, 17th Street Bar and Grill. But if it's pizza you're talking about, I'll tell you what, Mark, if you're ever down in the area, you just let me know, and I will give you the recommendations you need for the pizza tour because it is, it's extensive. Mm. My best friend, Tim, uh, has told me many times because he's moved and lived in several places, and he says that Southern Illinois has some of the best pizza, period. Wow. So anyway – now I'm hungry.
0: I'm starving.
1: <laughs> I'm
0: starving. <laughs> All this chili and I know. I know. Exactly. I'm trying green.
1: to lose weight here, guys. Would you stop uh, making me talk about this stuff? Wow. Oh, let's just keep talking about food, Jeff, because yeah. we have two more voicemails here that have uh, some updates for you on a barbecue place that you mentioned. Oh. Uh, the first one coming from Thomas. All right.
2: Hey, Jeff. Hey, Ryan. This is Thomas from North Hills, California. Uh, I just listened to episode 84, Faces for Podcasting, and uh, Jeff mentioned that he liked the restaurant Dr. Wogley's Texas-style barbecue. Uh, I live a couple of miles from there, and I have to report that the restaurant is temporarily closed due to a fire, but their website says that they hope to reopen soon. Uh, I love the show, and I look forward to hearing more of it. Thank you.
1: All right, and then we have another barbecue update from Steve.
3: Hey, Jeff and Ryan, this is Steve Jurg. On this last episode, the crazy video episode, Jeff mentioned Hoggly Woggly, Dr. Hogly Woggly's Tyler Texas Barbecue, and I did find the website at com. but the sign on the, on the website says, sorry, but we are temporarily closed due to a fire. We will open as soon as we can get everything up and running. They do mention that they have happy hour, $2 beer, Monday to Friday, 4 till 7. I don't know if this is the same location Jeff had, but this is uh, Sepulveda Boulevard in Van Nuys, California. Thanks a lot, guys.
0: Keep up the good work. Wow. Hey, Thomas and Steve, thank you. That's really interesting to hear because I I did love Dr. Hogglywogly's Tyler, Texas Barbecue. It was the best barbecue that I'd had around here that I could find, and uh, wow! I'm sorry that they had a fire. That's terrible. But I'm I'm glad to hear that they're hopefully going to reopen because it's a good place.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm really, really hungry. <laughs> <I> no. <know. laughs> I know. Gee whiz. I think we're done with the food questions. I think that's uh, everything (laughs) that we wanted to cover from these past episodes. Let's get to some new questions. What do you say?
0: I'm ready. All right. From Lisa, a Patreon VIP. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, A while back, I read possibly on the alt.mash message board, that was a while back, that uh, people rode out to the MASH ranch on horseback and watched filming from a respectful distance. Because locals knew where the MASH site was located, my question is, did the outdoor filming site have security guards to protect it from curious fans when the cast was in studio and during hiatus months? Or could anybody go and check it out like they do today? She also says, uh, the next time you videotape the podcast, could Jeff please share his beloved George with us and have her say the phrases he's taught her? Um, We used to talk to, with the parrots at the pet store when I was a kid and it's an absolute hoot. Well, yes, uh, addressing George, we will try that next time. And hopefully George will say, my name is George. I'm a bad, and that's it. She doesn't say birdie. (laughs) She she used to say, I'm a bad birdie, but for some reason she just, "Eh, I don't care about birdie anymore. And so she
1: says, my name is George. I'm a bad that's it you know so- some birds don't want to be pigeonholed <laughs> <laughs> that's true i'm here all week folks
0: <laughs> have the meal okay uh what was the other question oh where did people come yeah out did people would pack? come
1: out and like when, when you were filming were people out there on the ranch with you like were people hiking
0: Uh, You know, I kind of remember maybe once or twice there were kind of people, raggedy looking people wandering through, (laughs) Um, you know, uh, but not really. I mean, it was pretty far out there and, Mm -hmm. you know, nobody, it was usually hot and miserable. So a lot of people didn't necessarily want to go out there, but occasionally you'd have a few folks walk by. I never saw any horseback riders, Okay, but, you know, occasionally an occasional straggler with a, Backpack, you know, <laughs> bottle of beer.
1: Well, she also asked, "Were there security guards to protect it from fans that were coming in?"
0: I don't remember security anywhere. I
1: really huh? don't. Really, yeah.
0: I, I, you know, maybe there was. Uh, I just don't remember any. I would imagine that the studio demanded that there was some kind of uh, protection for the actors so that they didn't have to pay off their insurance <laughs> claims. But I, I kind of it was a low-key kind of thing. I don't remember really anybody. There were fire people occasionally with badges and there were fire department people making sure we weren't, you know, setting anything on fire, but I don't remember any uh, security guards per se. We had a bunch of really big guys who dragged uh, you know, lights around, so they'd probably say, "Arnold, go push, get them out of here." Arnold, go, and Arnold, <laughs> good, go. and they'd run over and do something. Arnold was a great guy, not a real talker, but he was great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> he was more of a grunter than
0: a talker. He was a grunter than a talker. Yes.
1: All right. Uh, from Brendan. He says, hi, Jeff and Ryan. I have found what might be another continuity error in MASH, this time in season six episodes Comrades in Arms part two and Patent 4077. At the time I'm writing this, I'm watching Patent 4077, where the fighting 4077 makes a special vascular clamp for arterial transplants. But in Comrades in Arms part two, while demonstrating to the 8063rd, uh, Hawkeye And Margaret state that the uh, 4077 has a special clamp for arterial transplants, even though it's three episodes before patent 4077. Was this an actual continuity error or were the episodes broadcast out of order? Hope you guys find the answers. Best of luck. Well, um. I do have an answer. Thanks to uh, our friend uh, uh, Mark O'Neill and, and Ed Solomonson, who wrote TV's MASH, the ultimate guidebook. They actually list the broadcast and production order for each season. And according to this, Patent 4077 was filmed before Comrades in Arms. It was the 14th episode that was filmed that season. Comrade in Arms were the uh, it, that part one and part two were the uh, 16th and 17th. Episodes that were filmed. However, the broadcast date, and this happened many times with MASH, the broadcast date was different. And for some reason, Patent 4077 aired three episodes after Comrades in Arms Part 2. That's why there's that continuity error. This vascular clamp that they invent in Patent 4077 was supposed to then be referenced three episodes later, but they switched them. And for some reason, they decided to air Patent 4077 after Comrades in Arms. So... Yes, Brendan, the episodes were broadcast out of order. You see that a lot when you compare production and broadcast. You see that a lot through the seasons with Mash and Jeff. Do you know why that is? Is there a reason for that? Is it a scheduling issue or why why would something like that happen? I'm so dizzy from listening to that. I, I don't
0: <laughs> happen. What was the what was the arterial thing? When was that? Uh, you know, I don't know uh, why some episodes would be sh- shown Out of order? I don't know. Maybe they weren't completed at the time. Could be. uh, Because sometimes they would hold back and they'd have to go back and do retakes and uh, stuff like that. And sometimes it would, uh, they didn't get it done in time. Mm -hmm. Uh, There could be a few different reasons, I guess. But uh, do I have an absolute answer? Nope. (laughs) Okay. I don't.
1: Um, you know, so many shows now because you can binge these seasons, they do callbacks to previous episodes. MASH didn't do a lot of that. So I think what makes this one so glaring is the fact that when you're watching it in order of broadcast and, you know, on the DVDs and on Hulu, it's in the broadcast order when you're watching that and you suddenly see they're referencing something that you know isn't going to be invented until f- yeah. three more episodes down the line, it becomes a little more glaring Yeah. Now. So it's just interesting the so thank you, Brendan, for asking that because it did make me pick up the book and and look at it. And you see a lot of in season six alone, there are quite a few discrepancies actually between the production order and the broadcast order. So interesting. If I, again, highly recommend the book TV Mash: The Ultimate Guide Book.
0: Yeah, they're they're the real deal. Those guys were terrific to have written that book, and uh, they were able to talk with Larry Gelbart and get answers from him, and of course try to get answers from me. And I'd go, oh, I don't know. <laughs> but Larry probably knew a lot more and uh, helped make their book much more accurate than had they asked me. <laughs> so uh, DJB on Twitter says, is the song that Potter sings in the shower at the beginning of season five bug out a real song. Please advise on your next pod.
1: I love to go swimming with bull legged women and swim between their legs, swim between their legs. Oh, Howdy, Padre. Take it easy. Water's cold as a witch's thorax. I did a little bit of research and uh, could not find anything specific about who wrote it or where it came from. But from what little I found on that song, it is a real song. Became popular during one of the world wars. Some say it was an army song. Others say it was a Navy song. Suffice to say, it seems like a song that was popular among uh, soldiers in uh, the uh, world wars. And therefore, it makes sense that it would be a song that Potter would know and sing. But beyond that, all I can say is, yes, it's a real song, but I don't really know anything more than that.
0: I'm so happy to hear you say, I don't know anything more than that, because I'm always saying that. I say, (laughs) I don't know. Having you say that makes me feel slightly better. Well,
1: I can't find all the answers, Jeff. I know. Stupid internet doesn't have everything. Dr. Google, Mrs. Google, (laughs) Professor Google.
0: And there's a Google. How many times do you use Google? I mean, you use Google for everything. How do I spell Google? Oh, okay. G-O-O-G.
1: Wait, let me find out. Alexa, how do you spell Google? (laughs) Google is spelled (laughs)
0: G-O-G-L-E.
1: Thank you, Alexa. She knew. She's she's great. I love her. All right. And uh, speaking of things that I don't have the answers to, uh, let's have one more voicemail. This one coming to us from Leslie.
3: Hi, Jeff. Hi, Ryan. Hi, MASH Matters family. I love your podcast. Your first episode aired on my 58th birthday. MASH aired on my 12th birthday. And when MASH went off the air on February 28th, 1983, I went into a blue funk. Thankfully, a little stuffed bear or dog, I'm not sure what it is, is a local in a local party store window brought me out of my distress. I named him Corey as he was made in Korea. So thank you for all the wonderful coincidences. I, I remember when I heard that a whole city had lost power and when, was unable to watch Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen at the time. My question is, did that town ever attempt to right the natures wrong? I know I would have totally lost it, probably gotten in my car and traveled to the nearest bar or Walmart or something. <laughs> thank you, and I'm Leslie in Connecticut. Take good care. Bye-bye for now.
1: Thank you, Leslie from Connecticut. Yeah, like Leslie from Connecticut. So she's referencing a story about a city or town that lost power during the MASH finale. And after three minutes of extensive Googling, no, that's not true. I did more than that. I did four minutes.
0: Of course you did.
1: I couldn't find this uh, story. I don't know what city or town that she's referring to. And so I'm putting it out there for our listeners. If you know of the story of a town or city that lost power during the MASH finale, and uh, if they were able to ever see the finale because of their power, outage, you know, it's difficult for today's generation, the young generation to understand when the MASH finale aired, it's not like it was then on a streaming service. It aired and then you did not ever see it again. (laughs) Until it aired again, and it was a while before CBS aired the finale again. If the power went out, you just didn't see it until it came back around in reruns. So, if anybody knows this uh, town or this city or can point us in a direction find out some more information about it, uh, I'd like to know. That was the biggest finale of all time, and there may have been a city out there that did not get to see it.
0: I was in San Francisco at the San Francisco Press Club, for the last episode myself and Kelly and um GW Bailey mm. uh, we were there and we watched it there and, and actually I had been quite ill up until that very <laughs> episode aired oh really so it was uh, there was some question whether or not I should actually go attend it cuz I was kind of I had some kind of flu or cold or something Hmm. But I got well and I jumped up there and it was a lot of fun and it was really enjoyable to watch it uh, with a lot of people because everybody was sobbing
1: and crying and clapping. And, and your power stayed on.
0: I, my power stayed on through the entire episode. And uh, because everyone was sobbing as well, me blowing my nose because of the cold, they didn't notice that. So I didn't have to explain <laughs> that. So was all
1: That's I- true. Everybody was snotting around that night, huh? Everybody? Yeah. But
0: San Francisco, there was power in San Francisco, and we all saw the last episode. So we can rule that city out. Yep.
1: Yep. All right. You can reach us at uh, mashmatterspodcast at gmail.com. You can also uh, contact us through our website. You can reach us on Twitter, on uh, Facebook. We're on Instagram, YouTube. We're everywhere. Um, you can also call and leave a voicemail, uh, just like several people did in this episode, at 513-436-4077. Just make sure that the voicemail is under three minutes in length.
0: I just want to real quickly say, I'm glad that Leslie got out of her blue funk. Uh, It's a bummer to be in one. And so I'm glad you got out of that. hope you stay out of that. You know, I see this blue funk and I thought, well, of course, you got one take Betty, Henna Red, and now blue (laughs) funk what is that like a, they, they
1: kind of sound like wrestlers in a way wrestling, you know? right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> blue funk uh, <laughs> fighting hannah red and one take buddy remember when blue red took on hannah funk that was uh, you, oh, wait, that no, was, I, got those, I got those mixed up blue red versus hannah funk is actually even kind of funnier <laughs> yeah, right. we're getting a little slap happy so I think it's time to say until next time here's looking up your old address